that when you're having a potluck and need to fulfill everyone's dietary needs. They don't have meat. Rainbow Grocery Cooperative, an amazing San Francisco staple since 1975. For all your space chicken sci-fi comedy non-political humor needs, go to timstesseract.com. Read fiction about the future of San Francisco after the water wars of 2121 in Jane 6. Ask a Jedi for important life hacks. Eat flesh with the bare exoskeleton Contessa. And check your horror horoscope on Horoscopia. Updated every three parsecs. Timstesseract.com Timstesseract.com want to be a comic? It's not as easy as we make it look, but that's because Mutiny Radio has eight hours a week of open mic stage time for all your comedy workout needs. Strain those improv muscles every Sunday from four to six at Getting Sketchy with David Stolowitz. Press out those new jokes every Monday six to eight on Joke Workshop with four minute sets and four minute critiques from everyone. Get by host Pam Benjamin. Pump those dick jokes every Thursday, 7 to 9, with True Hustle Thursdays. Hashtag THC. That's hashtag THC. You want more open mics? Fridays, 6 to 8. Happy hour with guest host and George D. Smith. Pew, pew, pew. Four open mics every week at Mutiny Radio, brother. work and take a seat at Asiento, a great place to meet friends, have delicious tapas and drinks, and relax with your neighbors. Located at Bryant and 21st Street in the Deep Mission, Kitty Corner Block from Mutiny Radio. Come and get a drink during the comedy festival and enjoy happy hour pricing all night long with your festival ticket. A great neighborhood bar. Come take a seat at Asiento. The Roxy Theater is San Francisco's favorite nonprofit art house cinema, bringing you the best, coolest, weirdest, most thought-provoking movies of the past, present, and future. Hands down, there is no better way to get your film fix than at this legendary historic theater. Visit www.roxy.com. That's www.roxie.com today for showtimes and tickets. at mutinyradio.fm. It's a great place to listen to crazy things.
Well, good morning, everybody. It's the Labor and Love Show. This is the B. And we're coming at you from uh, Mutiny Radio. Labor and Love, the show where we tell you how it is. Even if we don't have any music this morning. (laughs) That'll come later. Um... This is the Labor and Love Show where we tell you how it is. Where we tell you if one person gets a dollar they didn't work for, someone else worked for a dollar they didn't get. Makes sense, doesn't it? Also, if you don't have a seat at the table, the negotiating table, Where you work, you're on the menu. And finally, never but never let anyone into your heart who is not a friend of labor. And when I say labor, I mean you. Yes, Labor and Love Radio, where the labor meets the road. Take another shot at some music here.
hard week for labor, hard week for working people. A little blues from Labor and love, let's do one more here. Out of James.
Bob Marley there, all in one, let's get together and feel all right, bringing to mind uh, Jesse Jackson's famous comment that uh, we didn't all come over on the same boat, but we're all in the same boat now. And I preceded that with uh, Etta James' heartbreaking rendition of All I Could Do Was Cry. I want to thank Vita for that one. She reminded me about that one. And Albatross uh, with the Peter Green uh, iteration of Fleetwood Mac, the early blues band, Peter Green's Albatross. Does it seem like the labor movement has an albatross around its neck? Sometimes. But we don't quit. The bosses themselves are the ones who will create the conditions for the resurgence of the labor movement because they're so dumb and so greedy. So dumb and so greedy that they try to take everything from us. Anyone with any kind of brains or historical context would understand that Janus the Abu decision which preceded Janus and set up the agency fee situation where unions collected from uh, even from non-members to help them with their work of representation that provided a measure of labor peace. Okay, there haven't been a lot of significant big strikes as long as Abood was in was in force but now they want everything they want to take that away too and they have and before that the Abolish Work song by a group called International a good example of how punk rock you might assume that punk rockers, you know, were not political, didn't have anything to say about workers or the workers' situation. Uh, but there it is, the abolish work. And when we say work, we mean jobs and the power situations that go along with jobs. This is the Labor and Love Show, and I'm the B. Welcome. There's still time to... Donate to Mutiny Radio on our uh, GoFundMe. If you look up Labor and Love Radio on Facebook, the link is there or on Mutiny Radio. 2781, 21st Street corner of Florida in the Meadow Meadow, the heart of the Mission District. Okay, well, let's start then with Janice. And Janice, of course, has provoked a, a debate, a healthy debate, among uh, people who write and think and talk and work about labor. Um, this guy is Joe Burns. And, and the question is, should unions try to represent all workers at a job site or in an industry or only the ones who are signed up for the union. In other words, only the members or everyone. Um, 
This is a little article by Joe Burns on the Labor Notes website. And um, Joe is, is writing about this very thing. Of course, now Janice is in force. In essence, it means that all public sector workers are in a right-to-work situation. Okay? All right. Making the union a personal choice gives ground to the boss, Joe says. Now that the open shop is the law of the land in the public sector, it's natural for unionists to ask, why should we represent the freeloaders and consider giving up exclusive representation, opting instead to bargain for and represent only actual members of the union? But employers love this position because for the last century and a half, it's been their position. So what they want is, again, and we talked about this last week with uh, Muslims and immigrants from the South and what the powers that be want to do is divide us. As long as we're divided, we can't overthrow them. If we're united as working people, consciously as working people, will win. From the open shop movement of the early 1900s to the anti-union Taft-Hartley law in 1947 to opposing public employee unionism in the 60s, employers have always rejected the idea that unions represent more than a collection of individual workers. That's what they say. Famously, uh, Lane Chow, Secretary of Labor under George Bush, was asked about how is she going to address unions, and she said, well, what percent of the workers are represented by unions? 12%. Oh, okay, that answers your question. The Janus decision is not simply hit on dues collection or who contributes for arbitration. Though employers love to starve unions of cash, what's really in dispute is control of the workplace. Eliminating agency fee provisions is a way to destroy solidarity. We shouldn't take the boss's bait by scaling back who we represent. Unionists did not come up with the agency fee framework. Instead, unions traditionally set their sights much higher and claim to represent workers in an entire industry or even the entire working class in the case of the IWW. This was true of the AFL, the IWW, and the CIO from the 30s to the 70s. It isn't just an ideological choice. It's the only way to set industry-wide standards for wages and conditions. Okay, check out Joe's point of view. Making the union a personal choice gives ground to the boss. All right, and here's another point of view.
on labor notes. The U.S. is quickly becoming an open shop country. A majority of states have right-to-work laws, quote-unquote, and the Supreme Court's decision in Janus is likely to make right-to-work the law of the land. In New York, the state passed a law backed by the AFL-CIO that public sector unions no longer have to provide representation to non-members in disciplinary hearings, grievances, or arbitration. Meanwhile, national anti-union groups are promoting a similar idea for their own reasons. So no, they don't they don't want they don't want unions to get out of the they they don't want unions to represent workers to be there to represent worker all the workers. They don't want us to be the ones to represent the non-union workers. See because that gives that breaks us into pieces again. Again. They're dividing us. Okay. Don't fall for the members-only unionism trap. Don't rule out giving up exclusive representation, somebody says. Unions are class organizations and should act like it. Okay, the debate goes on. It's all about what, how unions should work after Janus. Listen to Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson tells it, they don't care about us. Again, this is a great debate, and it's going to be going on all around us. Considering Buick Encore, you should look at the all-new Ford EcoSport. It's the big... Skip the ad here. Michael Jackson.
wouldn't it be nice if you're that is why Toyota is very proud to Rejoice in the peace.
come round by my side and I'll sing you a song. I'll sing it so softly it'll do no one wrong. On morning and Sunday the blood ran like wine and the choir the kept singing by hatred. of freedom. As the children at the border now. That cold autumn morning, no, I saw the sun, and Daddy May Collins, her number was one. As one commentator said, which country are we living in? How, why are we taking it? And the choir kept singing of freedom. The clouds, they were dark.
This is Solidarity News on Radio Labour. This is the Radio Labour World Report recorded on Friday, July 6th, 2018. I'm Sue Ainsborough. In the report this week, unionists warn that Zimbabwe is headed to increased military control. An Iraqi woman unionist speaks up. The Labour Start report about union events around the world and singing The Rebel Girl. This is Radio Labour. After the resignation of Robert Mugabe last year, unionists in Zimbabwe hope for improved conditions for the country's working people. Things are not turning out that way. Mark Belanger reports. Zimbabwe, a nation of 16 million people in southern Africa, may be headed towards increased military control, according to labor leaders. The country, which gained independence from Britain in 1980, was ruled by Prime Minister Robert Mugabe until he resigned in 2017. I talked to Vimbai Zinyama about the situation in Zimbabwe. Ms. Zinyama is head of parliamentary affairs and external relations for the Zimbabwe Congress of Trade Unions. The ZCTU represents about 400,000 workers in the country. It has been lobbying for many years to have improvements made to the nation's labor laws. I asked Ms. Zinyama to describe the problems related to Zimbabwe's labor laws. The labor laws in Zimbabwe have been the bone of contention even pre-independence because the, the issue was the deficits within the labor relations which caused a lot of the people of Zimbabwe to go out and fight. And soon after independence, the main gain was actually the introduction of the Labor Relations Act. But however, ever since, there have been erosion of any gains by these struggles because the capitalists, they intended to eat away the benefits that had been achieved by the workers. The labor laws, as they stand at the moment, we have one that applies to the private sector and one that applies to the public sector. So in that, to that effect, it means that there are benefits that apply to the private sector that do not apply to the public sector. We have always called for harmonization of the labor laws to that effect. Then there are the core standards within the ILO, which also are a requirement for decent work to prevail. And these core conventions have always been flouted by the government. Has the removal of Robert Mugabe improved the situation for labor unions in Zimbabwe? No, I do not think that would be um, anything anyone can say at the moment because the situation in Zimbabwe is that we are slowly turning into a military state and that in itself does not correlate very well with the aspirations of democracy and good governance, which the trade unions are always up for. We have written several letters to the incumbent, the current president of Zimbabwe, who has taken over from Mugabe, and we have not got any responses as yet. What we perceive possibly is that the situation is going to get worse with the militarization efforts. A lot of the departments have presence of the army, which may either be visible or invisible. 
it will mean that the space for negotiation and uh, proper policy dialogue or social dialogue will be closed. As a labor leader in Zimbabwe, are you optimistic or pessimistic about the future of the country? I'm optimistic in that if there is enough pressure that uh, is maintained on principled grounds, then things may turn out differently during and after elections. Our only fear is that if the international community and all the other friends of uh, Zimbabweans start to think that, oh, there's a change and things have got better, then everybody loses track and focus on what are the real issues. Two years ago, the Iraqi parliament adopted a new progressive labor law, but the country's labor ministry is refusing to implement the law. Mark Belanger has the details. In 2003, Iraq was invaded by the United States, Britain, and other coalition partners. The country was economically devastated. But despite this devastation, workers in the country hoped that their working conditions would improve. This hope was heightened in 2015 when a new labor law was passed by the Iraqi parliament. The new law lifted the 1987 ban on strikes and, amongst other provisions, provided protection against sexual harassment. I talked to Kuria Gouda about the new law. Ms. Gouda is a representative of the General Federation of Iraqi Trade Unions, the GFITU. She was visiting Britain on a tour sponsored by the British Trades Union Congress, the TUC. I asked her about the 2015 Iraqi labor law. I spoke to her through an interpreter, Hashim Ali. Regarding the labor law, that was approved number 37 in 2015, which was approved. Ministry of Labor and Social Affairs in Iraq didn't take steps to implement the law. Therefore, it would be like frozen or not implemented. Still thousands of workers and employees still not covered by the law and it looked that the Ministry of Labor and Social Affairs has done nothing to defend their rights. For example, inspectors for the workplaces which should be uh, looking for any violations or applications of the law have, have not gone out to the working fields. What has been the effect of this on women workers in Iraq? Regarding women, although the new law does guarantee women important rights in the workplace and against sexual harassment and violence, these articles are still not implemented. What reason does the Ministry of Labor use for not implementing the new labor law? They put financial, uh, unavailable financial support as a reason for not putting this law into action or applying the law. There were, it wasn't applied in the right way, the labor law. 
What can unions and their members around the world do to support the workers in Iraq? Solidarity and openness also providing opportunities for Iraqi trade unions to look into the international uh, trade union experience. Here with his report about union events around the world is Labour Start correspondent Derek Blackadder. Here's a small sample of the average of 190 news stories added to our site each day last week. Our top stories section included links to coverage of the calls for an end to the repression of trade unions in Somalia, an historic national collective agreement in Denmark that ends the exclusion of thousands of workers from its benefits, and the ongoing reaction of unions in the United States to a Supreme Court decision that seriously undermines trade unions there. We had news of strikes and lockouts in dozens of countries. Here are just a few highlights. Information technology workers in South Korea set a new record for strikes against foreign employers as their walkout passed the 50-day mark. After years with no pay increase, Irish archaeologists downed tools in the first of a series of one-day walkouts. Election workers in war-torn Mali struck on a wide variety of critical issues, including safety, but suspended their strike to allow for a presidential election to take place. Bank workers in Pakistan shut down 7 million accounts as they demanded a wage increase and the regularization of contract workers. Public transport workers in South Africa brought regional train service to a halt in a dispute over benefits. Striking fish harvesters in Argentina agreed to return to sea in exchange for the arbitration of their dispute over rates of pay. A dispute over pay for hours worked resulted in an open-ended ambulance strike in India. The emergency workers were so frustrated that they ignored the imposition of back-to-work legislation and continued their walkout, providing only emergency services but refusing to perform routine duties. Also in India, public transport workers had their strike deemed illegal by the courts. Why? Because their walkout would, quote, greatly inconvenience commuters, unquote. And a pharmaceutical company in Ghana locked out its employees after they announced their intention to form a union. Our top working women's stories included coverage of the extension of domestic violence leave to more Canadian women, a walkout by women factory workers in India over sexual harassment, and a workplace culture at Walmart stores in China that encourages sexual harassment and assault. The Health and Safety Newswire we run in cooperation with Hazards Magazine carried stories to hundreds of union websites around the world about the impact on workers' health of years of picking tea in Kenya and the Georgian union that has taken on gender equality and safety in the workplace. Currently, Labor Start is running seven online actions. Take just a few seconds out of your day and join thousands of trade unionists around the world in helping workers make their lives better. This is Derek Blackadder from Labor Start reporting for Radio Labor. Now, here with an old Joe Hill song is Yane Lerkadal. Who have charms made of diamonds and pearls 
Radio Labor World Report for the week July 2nd to 6th. I'm Sumeri Ainsborough. Thank you for listening. All right, that was uh, the Radio Labor World Report all over the world as we always insist. People are fighting for control over their workplace, for more say in their lives, for better paying, safer jobs, more secure, so you could think about raising a family. Ended up with Rebel Girl, the song by Joe Hill, uh, dedicated to the great... IWW organizer Elizabeth Gurley Flynn written uh, probably 19 early 1910s when before Hill was uh, framed and murdered well we are celebrating our uh, nation's independence did I say that quote unquote the day in 1776 when the Declaration of Independence was signed and another 12, 13 years later when the Constitution was signed. And traditionally we're told what wonderful documents these are, uh, even though both were edited to uh, exclude allusions to slavery. Remember this. America was a slave country. 
a slaveholding country uh, for much of its history. Um, so I want to play part of Howard Zinn's uh, The People Speak about the beginnings. Um, let's see here. Well, we'll have to get on with that. Um, so let's see. Uh, this, this is Howard Zinn, The People Speak, uh, about the beginnings of our nation. The troublemakers, yes. The people who have given this country whatever liberty and democracy we have. Howard Zinn with the introduction. The people in power would like us to believe we all have the same interest. We don't. There's the interest of the President of the United States, and there's the interest of the young person he sends to war. There's the interest of Exxon and the interest of the ordinary worker. And then they use words like national security, as if the word security means the same to everybody. To some people, national security means having military bases in a hundred countries. To most people, security means having a place to live, having a job, having health care. The idea of democracy, the principles of democracy, are expressed most powerfully in the words of the Declaration of Independence. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. That whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it. The Constitution, which came 10 years after the Revolution, was designed to ensure stability and security. Gone is the revolutionary language of the Declaration of Independence. The right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness was changed to the right to life, liberty, and property. The Constitution, by design, created a government that would be controlled by slave owners and bondholders. You're not supposed to say things like that about the Constitution, which is a, a holy document. But the fact is that while the Constitution created a government more representative than monarchy, more representative than other places in the world, uh, it was not a democracy. In fact, the Bill of Rights, which guaranteed freedom of speech and assembly, was not in the original Constitution. It was only added later after popular protest. And when one looks at American history this new way, one sees that there has always been a conflict between the ideals of the people set forth in the Declaration of Independence and the interests of the wealthy classes expressed in the Constitution. And we're hoping that these, these words out of the past will speak very directly to what we face now uh, in the present.
In the war for independence against England, ordinary soldiers were treated poorly, while the officers were fed and clothed luxuriously. Thousands of soldiers mutinied against Washington and his officers, demanding fair treatment. We don't learn about these mutinies in our schools. Here, two soldiers describe their experiences during and after the Revolutionary War. A sergeant who was known by the appellation of Macaroni Jack had committed some trivial offense, and the officers ordered him to be brought from the guardhouse, which done, he was tied up and the drummers ordered to give him a certain number of lashes upon his bare back. When he was tied up, he looked around and addressed the soldiers, exclaiming to them, Dear brother soldiers, won't you help me? This, in the eyes of the officers, savored of mutiny. And they called out, Take him down! Take him down! Macaroni Jack and five other prisoners were then brought out in their sentence, which was death, was read to them. Their eyes were then bandaged or covered with silk handkerchiefs. And at the signal given by the officer, Macaroni Jack was shot, but with an awfulness that would have made even devils to have shrunk back and stood appalled. And those who engaged to serve during the war enlisted. They were promised 100 acres of land each, which was to be in their or the adjoining states. When the country had drained the last drop of service it could screw out of the poor soldiers, they were turned adrift like old worn-out horses, and nothing said about land to pasture them upon. The country was served and faithfully served, and that's all that was deemed necessary. It was soldiers, look to yourselves, we want no more of you. The country was rigorous in exacting my compliance to my engagements, but equally careless in performing her contracts with me. And why so? Because she had all the power in her hands, and I had none. Such things ought not to be. After the revolution, these mutinies continued in the form of rebellions among the citizens. And farmers, many of them veterans of the Revolutionary War, Farmers given a little piece of land, now finding their land being taken away from them because the taxes are so high and they can't pay them, and they gather by the thousands and they rebel. They surround the courthouses and won't let the auction continue to take away their land and their livestock. I've labored hard all my days and fared hard. I've been greatly abused, have been obliged to do more than my part in the war been loaded with class rates, town rates, province rates, continental rates, and at all rates been pulled and hauled by sheriffs, constables, and collectors, and had my cattle sold for less than they were worth. I've been obliged to pay and nobody will pay me. I've lost a great deal by this man and that man and the other man and the great men are going to get all we have and I think it's time for us to rise and put a stop to it and have no more courts, no sheriffs, no collectors, no lawyers. And I know that we are the biggest party. Let them say what they will. We've come to relieve the distresses of the people. There will be no court until they have redress of their grievances. Those rebellions took place in 1786. The Constitution was put together in 1787. The people who put together the Constitution were writing letters back and forth to one another. Hey, we better watch out. 
look what's going on in the country. We better create a central government strong enough to deal with rebellion. In the United States. Okay, Howard Zinn, uh, um, the conditions uh, at the founding of the United States, the development of the Constitution, the Revolutionary War. And as he indicates, there were always very, there were strong movements and feelings within the United States or the Americas at that time to resist. We're never told about this. This is not in our history books. What's in our history books is the generals, the defeat of Admiral, of Admiral Howe and defeat of his brother and Horatio Gates at Saratoga and Washington crossing the Delaware and Lord Cornwallis trapped and nothing about the countercurrents at the time, the iron discipline that that clothed and fed the officers and let the enlisted men go hungry, as at Valley Forge. There's a story I read when I was uh, in elementary school about some soldiers sitting around a fire. And General Washington comes out and talks to them and tells them to breathe on their hands, Indian style, to keep warm. And then he walks off, presumably to a warm bed and a, and a hot meal. So there's a, there's a lot going on. Now, someone who really sort of took all this apart and wrote about it, is a historian, Charles A. Beard. Um, Beard was one of the most famous uh, historians of the early of the first half of the twentieth century. Beard contends that the Constitutional Convention was attended by, and the Constitution written by a cohesive elite seeking to protect its personal property, especially federal bonds. These were well-to-do people, who, some of them who had bought bonds and wanted to get them, wanted to sell them, get them honored. Beard examined the occupations and property holdings of the members of the convention from tax and census records, contemporaneous news accounts, and biographical sources demonstrating the degree to which each stood to benefit from various constitutional provisions. It sounds simple, huh? If you're going to write a series of laws for a new country, okay, and the country owes you money, you're going to have a strong central government and a banking system where you get paid back. Beard pointed out, for example, that George Washington was the wealthiest landowner in the country and had provided significant funding towards the revolution. We're always told that, huh? Washington put up some of his own money. Well, now he wanted to get paid back. Beard traces the constitutional power guarantee 
that the newly formed nation would pay its debts to the desire of Washington and similarly situated lenders to have their costs refunded. Okay, uh, Carl Becker, uh, 1909, I believe. Um, continued that, set up the progressive interpretation of the American Revolution. He said there were two revolutions, one against Britain to obtain home rule and the other to determine who should rule at home. This is the thesis that Beard uh, took up. To Beard, the Constitution was a counter-revolution set up by rich bondholders Bonds were personal property. In opposition to the framers and planters, land was real property. Now, Beard goes on to explain uh, how the bondholders lost out to slaveholders, overthrew the capitalists, and established Jeffersonian democracy. And all that is something else. But what Beard did basically was say these men had interest in a strong central government, in a government that would force, that would tax people and pay off their bonds. Uh, this was all attacked in the 50s revisionists and they started talking about ideals and... Uh, Ideas. Uh, MacDonald uh, was another one. Argued that Beard had misrepresented the economic interests. Instead of two interests landed in Mercantile, MacDonald asserted there were three dozen identifiable interests that forced the delegates to bargain. Um... The framers of the Constitution, he wrote, rather than having self-interested motives. Why can't they have self-interested motives, I say? We're led by concern for political unity, as we said, a strong central government, national economic development. Well, yeah, these are the ones who are going to profit by that. And diplomatic security. Okay, a country that could defend itself. So this is this is a debate going on. Um, Charles A. Beard, an economic interpretation of the Constitution. Interesting reading. Okay, music. This is Labor and Love Radio. You're listening to Mutiny Radio here at 2781. 21st Street, and we're here talking about a revolution. Um, Tracy Chapman would be the singer. If we can get her up here, talking about a revolution. 
Okay, well, let's put a stop. Let's stop that one. Tracy ain't singing for us. Listen to John Fromer. We do the work is the name of the album. to the heart when it comes to reaching out and doing their part for the neighbors or the unions or the friends that they make my heroes are lighting the road that I take my heroes are lighting the road that I take the job done and a friend who's building bridges where mighty waters run could be the way they listen not the records they break my heroes are lighting the road that i take my heroes are lighting the road that i take build a statue for the working mother who finds a time to play and a tower for the old man who walks up the hill each day For those who work hard all week long and barely make the rent For those who never hear their praises Build a monument But you see them around you If you just take a look Might be serving your food Might be taking your call Or cleaning the floor As you pass in the hall They may not make the headlines But make no mistake My heroes are lighting The road that I take John Fromer there with My Heroes. Let's see if we can get Tracy Chapman here. Not getting any Tracy coming through at all. 
Okay. So we've talked about Charles A. Beard's book, An Economic in- Interpretation of the Constitution. Here's an important labor victory won by the UFT, the United Federation of Teachers in New York. In an important victory won through years of rank-and-file organizing, United Federation of Teachers last month announced a deal with New York City that provides members with six weeks of paid parental leave for all represented, represented employees who have a new child enter their home. Previous leave policies were atrocious, requiring mothers to borrow sick days to cover births as an illness. Most came back to work with a negative sick day balance. So you come back owing money. You have a a baby and you come back owing money. Only allowing fathers three days without covering adoptions or foster parents. UFT didn't win all of our demands, particularly for for paid leave to care for sick and elderly family members. Further, the city now wants to make us pay for for part of these benefits by extending our current contract so they can save money by delaying raises. These concessions made in the context of more than a billion dollars of health care concessions just made by city unions despite a municipal budget surplus set a dangerous precedent for future negotiations. Paid parental leave is, of course, standard for workers internationally, with the United States, Lesotho, and Papua New Guinea being the only countries that do not require it by law. Mexico offers 12 weeks of fully paid maternity leave. India offers 26 weeks. In 2016, the supposedly progressive New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio imposed a paid parental leave policy for non-union city employees that ended up costing more in races and givebacks than the benefit was worth. The UFT began negotiations for better terms for the benefit, but the mayor stonewalled for two years. Last year, Andrew Cuomo, Cuomo, governor of New York, signed legislation that implemented full family leave, including for care for sick family members, not just newly arrived ones, but funded it with employee contributions. Outrage among the UFT's 70% female membership generated a number of protests and mobilization to pressure the city, including a fall fall petition campaign that gathered more than 80,000 signatures. Pressure continued as school chapters organized color days, political baby showers, and walk-ins to express the urgency of their demands. The union was under continuous pressure to arrive at an agreement looking ahead to the Supreme Court's Janus decision.
It's at socialistworker.org, an important victory for teachers in New York. But it's not coming through. Let's see. Are we muted here? No. Okay. So these are the things that people are talking about right now in the labor movement. Uh, people are wondering, you know, how they should respond to Janus. Well, here's one way. Tracy Chapman. Don't you know that talking about a revolution sounds Don't you know talking about a revolution sounds like a whisper? While they're standing in the welfare lines Crying at the doorsteps of those armies of salvation Wasting time in the unemployment lines Sitting around waiting for a promotion Don't you know, talking about a revolution It sounds Who are people gonna rise up and get their share? People gonna rise up and take what's there. Don't you know you better run, 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 run. Oh, I said you better run, 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 run. The spinally the tables are starting to turn. Talking about the revolution.
That was Tracy Chapman with uh, talking about a revolution. Gil Scott Heron here. A circle spinning faster and getting larger all the time. Whirlpool spell disaster For all the people who don't rhyme Him who don't fit through the needle's eye Him who just don't understand Understand My father, 
Many questions on my mind But he didn't want to answer me God, the whole world must be blind Him who don't fit through the needle's eye You may someday go insane Insane A brand new sense of time You may go and stand alone now And leave the hate and fear behind Yeah, behind Yeah, yeah Gil Scott Heron from his... Uh Beautifully poetic named, <laughs> poetically named album. Uh, the revolution will not be televised. Okay, the revolution will not be televised. If it is, it's not the revolution. Um, and before that, we had, uh, let's see, we played John Fromer. I haven't identified Fromer. Fromer was singing about my heroes. Um, and uh, Gil Scott Heron with The Revolution Will Not Be Televised. That one was called The Needle's Eye, calling to mind uh, Jesus' admonition that it would be harder for a rich man to pass through the eye of a needle be harder for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And why did he say that? Did he say, did he mean that rich people are bad or somehow perverted people? No. He was talking about what happens when you get rich. What do you have to do to get rich? Who do you have to ally yourself with? What do you have to allow to happen? Uh, what do you have to do to the people around you? And how does that affect you? And he had it right. Um, a lot of well-to-do people feel that uh, under the dictates of Calvinism that they deserve what they have. They worked for it. Well, no, they didn't work for it. Maybe in the past somebody did, but. It wasn't the kind of work that you and I would call work. The president of Disney gets paid $58,000 an hour. Work? Here's Las Cafeteras. Got it all wrong, so I come to you with a song. In 1810, con el gran grito de pasión, se levantaron con razón. Black and brown fighting together on a day I'll always remember. 
en el 5 de mayo con el grito de gallo Black, white and brown bleeding together on a day out always Remember Cause really it hasn't been that long So just in case Cat Williams had you guessing Let me kick y'all down with a little history lesson In the 19th century, while the U.S. promoted degradation, annihilation with its military and U.S. Navy, Mexico got rid of the caste system, voted for its first indigenous president, even getting rid of legalized slavery. The Underground Railroad also ran south, which led black folks to freedom, with Mexico right there to receive them. Mexican men with Pancho Villa and Zapata fighting for tierra, libertad y techo with Adelitas on the front line with bullets across their pecho. In the year 1946, it was the Mendez family that fought against segregation in schools. Because before that, they treated us like fools, pushing us out into gangs, wars, and drugs. And then they get pissed off at us when we become crips and bloods, traviesos, zutsuras, pachucos, folkloristas, punks, bomberas, haraneras in the heat, haraneras with the bomb as beats. Talking about what's really going on in the streets. In the 60s, in the streets of Oakland, California, Black Panthers organized for answers. Young lords in New York fought against wars. The Stonewall Rebellion remained true for the rights of the LGBTQ. AIM, who was down for native rights with no shame in their game. Brown berets in LA learning how to fight and doing what's right. In the campos of California, Filipinos were the first ones to lay down the boycott. Screaming in solidarity, Isang Baksak, one rise, one fall. You come for one, you come for all. And today, Arizona and Alabama, they don't play. Carving out racist laws like it's made out of clay. I stand with Emmett, Trayvon, Oscar, and Bell. With my mentor, Mumia, up in the cell. Telling you I'd rather be blind than to stay quiet on a day while my people are hunt down like prey. My ability to breathe is directly connected to my ability to see. It's not about me, never was, never will be. It's about we. It's time to move, y'all. My people. It's movement time. Las cafeteras, it's movement time. And looks uh, like it's almost time to go here. Let's see what happened in labor history. Today in labor history on July 7th. Okay. Mother Jones met with striking New York longshoremen to discuss ways to keep new immigrants from scabbing. They were successful at least for a time. On July 14th, 500 newly arrived Jews marched straight from their ship to the Union Hall. On July 15th, Italian immigrants stopped scabbing on the railroad and joined the Union. The March of the Mill Children, three-week trek from Philadelphia to President Roosevelt's home on Long Island by striking child and textile, adult textile workers 
was launched by Mother Jones. The march turned public attention on the scourge of child labor and energized efforts to end it by law. This day in labor history. Bloody Thursday, thousands of United States Marshals and some 12,000 United States Army troops commanded by Brigadier General Nelson Miles, famous uh, for cut, uh, cut his connection to Custer, interfered with a peaceful labor strike led by Eugene Debs against the Pullman Palace Car Company, which had drastically cut wages. This turned into one of the bloodiest labor actions in American history. Two strikers were killed in 1934 and more than 100 were injured by San Francisco police in what came to be known as Bloody Thursday, leading to one of the last general strikes in the U.S. We'll go into that a little bit more next week. Right now it's about time to go. This is Labor and Love. This is the B. Wishing you a good week and good work. Remember, one person gets a dollar they didn't work for, someone else worked for a dollar they didn't get. You don't have a seat at the table, the negotiating table where you work. You're on the menu. Never but never let anyone into your heart who is not a friend of labor. And when I say labor, I mean you. As always, this show is dedicated to those workers, one who dies every 15 seconds because of work-related conditions or effects in the United States. Every two minutes, a worker dies because of conditions at work or conditions that he got or she got from Those people who are working all the time, all around you, are people just like you. This is the B, Ivita, Isolia, Isolina, and everybody else, you know who you are. You're the Chaz sister Alexandra. Labor and love.
of swimming through a sea of podcasts. Are ye on a raft without a patter? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of Mutiny Radio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ-friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. MutinyRadio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit-faced McRat. <laughs> Hey everybody, listen to the Weekly Review with Roman every Friday from noon to 2 p.m. This is an unapologetically anti-capitalist program. We interview community organizers, activists, and artists. We talk about ways you can take action right now. So listen in to the Weekly Review every Friday from noon to 2 p.m. you visual and auditory mind control. For the best graphic design, physical merchandise, and live music promotion, go to www.subliminalsf.com and check out their hilarious t-shirts and super cool bands at clubs and bars all over the Bay Area. Subliminal SF creates amazing flyers, posters, and design for every need. So go now to www.subliminalsf.com and experience what this wonderful local business has to offer. Good evening there, my friends here at MutinyRadio.fm. Chester Cashcock here, and giving you my love and regard as well as movies over there. And uh, I just wanted to let you guys know that anytime I go swimming in my vault of rare coins and piles and piles of filthy cash, I can't help but listen to Pamtastic's Comedy Clubhouse every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. I mean, if anyone who knows anything about comedy knows that Pamtastic's books the best of San Francisco and Beyond's Underground Comics. It's a great showcase, and they have a fun time at Pamtastic's Deep in the Mission District, where you can laugh off your tushy for a mere fun. every Friday to 10 p.m. And I laugh because $5, I mean, that's what I use to wipe my tushy with. So to laugh it off for a mere $5 is indubitious. But if you can't make it to Mutiny Radio, well, don't even worry. Don't fret at all. You can simply download the podcast post-show and giggle in the comfort of anywhere, like your Aspen summer home on the mountain ridge with the kayak feeling. So then all you got to do is just go to podcastics.pcrcollective.org slash comedy clubhouse, or you can listen live every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. as your host Pam Benjamin brings you the best comedy from San Francisco and beyond the universe. And what's better than the universe? It's a cash cock, honey. (laughs) Well, hello, boys and girls. You know what a password is. That's a secret word that soldiers would use to get past the sentry and up to the front. 
Well, here's a password that gets you up to the front in all the right places. It's cannabis energy. It seems the faster you go, the more cannabis energy you need. So if you want to win, you have to have lots of cannabis energy. And the swellest way I know to get it is just by using Green Army Skincare. Boy, they're just crammed full of cannabis energy. There are more cannabis energy units in one lip balm tube than you use circling the base 10 times or when you ride your bike four miles across the city. And it's fast acting. Why, no sooner that you apply some balm to your mouth or pain areas, you practically feel the new strength in your muscles. And what's more, Green Army Skincare is a good, wholesome product. They're made with body-nourishing cannabis and other natural ingredients. So go out there today and pick up some Green Army Skincare products from your local cannabis procurement center. Join thegreenarmy.com. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, we'd like to invite you down to Bender's Bar and Grill in the heart of the Mission District in San Francisco at 806 South Van Ness. Uh, we've got great food by our kitchen counter offer, burgers, tater tots, tachos, corn dogs, all sorts of good stuff like that. They're open from opening until 11 p.m. most days of the week, except Saturday. Every Saturday night, we've got live rock and roll, some of the best local bands in San Francisco, and touring acts as well. Come on down, 10 p.m., rock and roll, only night of the week. We have a $5 cover charge, always 5 bucks for live rock and roll. We're open from 4 p.m. until 2 a.m., Monday through Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, 2 to 2. Come on down, have some drinks with us. We've got Whiskey Wednesday, Tequila Tuesday, and we've always got the Steve McQueen special. Shot a bullet bourbon and a can of California lager for 8 bucks. Come down and enjoy our patio. It's open uh, in the afternoon, not really in the evening, but a lot of good folks hanging out back there. Come on down, give us a shout. Drop by the bar, make some friends. Thanks, folks. Bender's Bar and Grill in the heart of the Mission District, San Francisco, California. Hey, people. People, this is the Flat Black Plastic Show coming at you. Enjoy. MutinyRadio.fm is where you're tuned into. Oh, I get drunk most every night. Seems like all we do is fight. The more I drink, the less I feel blue. Beer. 
double 